morning. Welcome to the pastor's Bible class here at St. Paul's De Pere. And also welcome to all who may be listening on KFUO radio. These are interesting times, as the Chinese said. May you live in interesting times, and certainly we are. This is a time when we as God's people come together to hear his word, and also a time in which we pray for ourselves and for the world. Our lesson today focuses on that gift which God has given us, the gift of prayer, and particularly the Lord's Prayer. And so if you would, please join me in prayer as we begin. Gracious God and Father, you have created all things, and all that you created you declared good. Each and every day you promise that you will provide us with all that we need to support the gift of life that you've given us, and all that we need to support this life. You've, you've said that you never change, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so in this time of worldwide pandemic, we turn to you, trusting in your promises, eager to, to see how you will work all things together for our good. And so on this day, we pray for leaders, world leaders, with all the important decisions that need to be made, we pray that you would grant them the gift of wisdom, that they might care for their people and lead us in ways to protect life. We pray for people. Gracious God, in this time of testing, we pray that, that we might look out for our neighbors, that we might show care and concern and, and your love for them. Help us to be cautious, but also help us to be caring for those who are around us. We pray for those who are ill, and we trust them to your care and keeping. Gracious God, if it be your will, provide the gift of healing in these times. We also pray for the medical workers, for all who put their lives on the line serving and caring for others. We pray that you would keep them safe from harm and danger. Gracious God, bless them for all that they're doing. We pray for your church in these trying times. Gracious God, Grant wisdom to our pastors, keep them safe from harm and danger. Be with your people and give them wisdom as they gather together. Use this and each one of us in some way to proclaim your good news to a world that, that's worried and concerned and afraid, a world that is desperately in need of you. And so we pray that we might show forth your love in all that we do and say. On this day, as we gather around your word, we pray that you would teach us how to pray. For in these times, we really don't know what to pray for. But we entrust all things to your care and keeping. So, gracious God, be with us. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to your word. And teach us how to pray. We pray these and all things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I recently visited my physician. He's a fine Christian man. And as we were talking, he, because he knows I'm a pastor, he says, what, what are you up to these days? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm preaching once in a while. I'm teaching Bible class. He said, well, what are you teaching? I said, well, I'm right now, I, we were in Hebrews at the time, and I kind of explained where I was going. And, and then I said, well, what about you? What are you studying right now? He says, I'm studying prayer. But I feel that my prayer life is lacking. It just isn't what it's supposed to be. And I said, brother, my prayer life is lacking too. And of all the pastors I've supervised throughout the years, they will tell you their prayer life is lacking. 
And in every layperson I've come to and talked to about prayer, they sense that their prayer life is lacking. It's not all that it should be. And so today's lesson becomes very important to all of us. As we think about our prayer life, what it means, what a privilege, what a blessing we have to be able to call upon our God in prayer. Catechism asks the question, what is prayer? And a simple answer is, prayer is speaking to God in words and thoughts. Prayer is having a heart-to-heart talk with God. In the, the musical Fiddler on the Roof, the main character is a man named Kevya. And in this prayer, as he goes about his business every day, whether he's, he's feeding his cows or pushing his milk cart, wherever he is, whatever he's doing, he's in a constant conversation with God. And of course, the, the famous song is, If I Were a Rich Man, you, Lord, would there be some problem if, if I were a wealthy man? I could study the scriptures all day long and sit with the scholars, and would that be such a bad thing? But whatever is on his heart, whatever goes through his mind as he's going about his daily task, Pevia is talking to God. This conversation, this heart-to-heart talk with God always begins with God. He speaks to us in his word. Have you ever noticed that there's a correlation between your time in scripture and your prayer life? God speaks to us in his word, and it's Just natural then that we as his people respond to him, we talk to him, we tell him what's on our heart, and then God speaks to us in his word and addresses our issues, and we speak to God. There's a correlation here. If you're neglecting his word, despising his word, not hearing his word, you're not apt to respond to God or to speak to him in prayer. And so the two go hand in hand. If we're not in the Word, our prayers often become selfish and self-centered. Remember the little kids who write their letters to Santa? Dear Santa, I have been good this year. Please give me a Red Ryder BB gun and a new sled and and we go down a long list of things that we want. Unfortunately, that's the way in which some people see prayer. Dear God, I've been good, so give me the house, the car, the the job, the the career. That's all about us. Is that really seeking God's will? Is that talking with God as He speaks to us in His Word? The point is, we don't know how to pray the way we should. And St. Paul dealt with it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, He said, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit teaches us how to pray. The Spirit actually prays for us. Where does the Spirit work? He works in the Word. He works in the sacraments. It's part of the conversation. The Spirit's always there in the Word, in the sacraments, motivating us to respond to God with our concerns. Jesus' disciples also wanted to know, Lord, teach us how to pray the way John taught his disciples. 
Well, in part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did exactly that. He taught people how to pray. John, uh, Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there are some people who like to be up in front, some people who like to be seen as powerful prayers. They, they take big postures. They stand on the street corners. They're out in front in the synagogues. They like to be heard because of their many words. That's not you, God. God says, you go into your room. You shut the door. And you talk to your Heavenly Father with your heart and you pour out everything in your mind, everything on your heart, and you put it before God's throne of grace. Your God, who hears those kinds of prayers, will answer you. Verse 7 continues, When you pray, don't keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, he said, and began to teach the Lord's Prayer. It's not the amount of words, it's not how powerful the words might be. You know, there are times when I, I listen to, to people pray and they, they heap up all of these phrases, Oh, Almighty, Most Merciful, Gracious, Holy, uh, Benevolent, Omniscient, Omnipresent, God and Father. Why not just say, Father in Heaven, You know. You know, in some cultures they have prayer wheels. Sometimes they're driven by the wind, sometimes they're driven by water. People attach a, a little prayer note, their concern, to this wheel. And as it spins, as it goes around, they believe that every time the prayer hits the top, another prayer is going up to God as it goes round and round. Jesus says that's not what, what it's all about. It's not how many words not how fancy the words are. You just talk to your Heavenly Father. We'll see exactly what Jesus means as He teaches us the Lord's Prayer. God knows. You just talk to Him about the things on your heart. question often arises, why should we pray? You know, if, if God already knows everything that we need, why don't we just leave it up to Him and we go on about our lives? We don't need to pray. Listen to Jesus' words a chapter later in Matthew 7. He said, ask. And that's a command. And it's not just a one-time thing. He says, ask and keep on asking. And it will be given to you. Seek. Keep seeking and you will find. Knock. Keep banging on the door and it will be open to you. There is a command and a clear promise. Jesus says, pray and God will hear. And God will answer. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. God will answer your prayers. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Any earthly father would, would only provide good things for his kids. If his kid needs bread, he's not going to give him a rock. If he asks for a fish, something to eat, he's not going to give him a poisonous serpent. No, if, if we who are evil people know how to give good things to our kids, magnify that. Your good and gracious God knows what you need and he's going to provide the good things that you need. Always, always good things. Why do we pray? Because we have a command to pray. And we have a promise that God will hear and answer. There are things that we need. Things that our neighbor needs. And so Psalm 50, verse 15, God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Why do we pray? There are things we need. There are things our neighbors need. And so we take that before God's throne of grace. And after God hears and God answers all of our prayers, isn't it only right that we respond to God by saying thank you? And so we bring our gratitude to God as well. The psalm said in Psalm 136, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy endures forever. We need to be reminded that we need to give thanks. Remember when you were raising the little babies? Grandma or Grandpa would give them something or a, a person would hand them a piece of candy or some food and you had to teach your children to say thank you. And they would spot, smile and mouth the word thank you and everybody would get a big kick out of watching the kids. But it's teaching them an attitude of gratitude. How can we as Christian people, God's children, not respond in the same way. We need to be reminded, say thank you to God for all the good things that He's given to us. To whom should we pray? Well, we only pray to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't pray to idols. We, we don't participate in prayers to other gods. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to our ancestors. We don't pray to anything that God has created. We go directly to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He and He alone. For whom should we pray? For ourselves and our loved ones, for all people, even, 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 even for our enemies. In 1 Timothy, Paul taught, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving all words with slightly different meanings, but what he's really saying, that I, I recommend that prayers be offered for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray for all people. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Remember, he's talking about the Roman government. It wasn't exactly sympathetic to Christianity all the time. But St. Paul said, you pray even for kings, so that we might lead quiet and peaceful lives, so that they might use the power that God has entrusted to them to make life for all people go smoothly. 
In Matthew 5, once again, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you know, that seems counterintuitive to us. Why would we pray that God would bless our enemies? Why would we pray for those who are persecuting us? God might bless them. God might change their hearts. God might bring them to know the truth. Pray for them. Think Paul, or Jesus said. So a question, does God really hear? Does he answer every prayer? God has promised that he will hear and answer every proper prayer in his own way, in his own time. Sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says, you have to wait a little while. When our boys were growing up, they, they wanted pocket knives. Neighbor kids had pocket knives. They thought they needed pocket knives too. And so they came to me as dad and said, we need pocket knives. What do you need pocket knives? To cut stuff. John's got, Mark's got, everybody's got pocket knives but us. Now, as a loving father, what do I do? Do I say, oh yeah, here's a pocket knife, go play. That wouldn't be a very loving or, or wise thing to do. Did I just say no and break their hearts when everybody else had? No, that's not the answer. The answer was, maybe you need to wait a little bit. And I'll teach you how to use a pocket knife. And when you're in the scouts and you're doing the, the good things, you'll have the pocket knife that you need. Sometimes God treats us the same way as a loving father. He says, yes. He may say, no. He may say, you have to wait a while, but it's always looking out for your own good. So yes, God hears and answers every proper prayer, every prayer that's offered in faith, trusting in God that he knows best. Prayer is sometimes surrendering ourselves to God's will. It's not trying to convince God that he, he's got to do what we want. Do we really think we're so smart that we've got everything under control, that we see the, the big picture? Or is it simply saying, God, I don't see the picture. I don't have it all, but I surrender my will to your will and pray, thy will be done. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the, as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. But it's giving up being in control once in a while. And just letting God be the one who has all power and the one who receives all glory. Is there such a thing as an improper prayer? Are there prayers that God says he will not hear or answer? Well, what about a prayer that isn't offered in faith? I don't believe in you, God, but help me out of this situation. God going to hear that? What about prayers that ask for the foolish or hurtful things? What about the prayers that describe, prescribe to God what he has to do and how he has to do it and what time frame he has to, to uh, answer our prayers? Now we used to pray, God, give me patience right now. That's demanding from God what he needs to do when he has to do it. God doesn't hear improper prayers. Book of James, chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, 
and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So there are prayers that God doesn't answer. Improper prayers, foolish, hurtful things, prayers that make demands upon people. That's prayer in general. Any, any thoughts, any questions about just prayer in general before we get into the specifics of the Lord's Prayer? Yes. Mm -hmm. Praying for your enemies. That's right. And as, as we get into the Lord's Prayer, you'll see it as God can't be selfish, He can't be angry, and pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll see why. Any thoughts? Let's look at the Lord's Prayer then. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer to be a model prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say you have to pray these very words every time. But pray like this. But these are the words that Jesus gave us. This is a model prayer. This is the perfect prayer. And of course, we pray it and we pray it often. Have you seen the memes going around right now that says, wash your hands? And as you're washing your hands, pray the Lord's Prayer. It takes 20 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. And that's the amount of time you need to be using as you wash your hands during this, this pandemic. Well, folks, what better thing to do as you're washing your hands to take at least those 20 seconds and call upon the Lord in prayer, maybe even praying the Lord's Prayer during that time to focus where the attention really needs to be. I want you to also notice that, that the Lord's Prayer it's kind of a summary of everything that we've talked about in this during these six weeks of this class. It talks about the Word of God. It talks about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about daily bread. It talks about everything that we've talked about is summarized in this prayer as we come to understand what God's will is. Lord's Prayer is divided into an introduction. And seven specific petitions or requests, and then a conclusion or a doxology, a word of prayer. The prayer begins with the introduction. Our Father who art in heaven. The catechism raises the question, what does that mean? The answer with these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father. And that we are his true children so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. The very first word, our, tells us you can't be selfish. Notice that in this prayer never do you say, I, me, mine. It's not about me, it's about our. It's a prayer of the church, for the church. You realize that every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for and with a billion people worldwide. And every time one of them begins the Lord's Prayer and says, Our Father, they are praying for you. That first word is a powerful word. It sets the stage for everything that follows. It's all about us. 
all of us together. It's not about me. And then we pray, Father. The, he the, the Hebrew word is Abba. We teach our little ones to pray Dada as they talk to their daddy. And that's the image that we get in the Lord's Prayer. Abba. As the little one crawls up into his daddy's lap, and he tells his daddy all the things that are going on, everything that he needs. This isn't a, a, a frightening kind of moment. This is a time of tender love as the father picks us up and hears our prayers. Abba, our father who art in heaven. He is the Lord of all. He has control of all things. That's why we pray to him and to no one else. We go to the top and we place everything into His hand. Our Father, who art in heaven. The first petition then begins the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. And what does that mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. God's name is kept holy when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this heavenly Father. You remember the second and third commandment? The second commandment deals with God's name. The third commandment deals with God's Word. What we're praying for in this first petition is the fulfillment of the second and third commandment. We're praying that the Holy Spirit might work in our lives. That we might believe God's Word and that we might live holy lives according to it. We're praying that God would stop any false doctrine from being taught. We're praying that God would put an end to all hypocrisy, including the hypocrisy in our lives, that God's name might be holy among us as we go about our task each day giving praise to Him and Him alone, that our lives might reflect His truth and glory. So we're praying against false teaching, praying against hypocrisy, we're praying against the misuse of God's Word, we're praying that God's word might be taught in truth and purity, we might live. God would have us live. The second petition, thy kingdom come. Catechism asks, what does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit. So that by His grace we believe His holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God rules. Where does God rule? He rules in the hearts of His people. The obvious question is, does He really rule in your heart? So we're asking here that God, you take control. You help me. You rule in my heart and in my life. This is a prayer for the Holy Spirit. 
that we might be sanctified, that we might believe, and that we might live holy lives according to God's word. This is a prayer for the church, for all Christians. It's a prayer for missions, that God might not just rule in our hearts, but that there might be more and more who hear the good news, and that God's rule on earth, His rule in eternity would continue to grow. It's a, a prayer that it might not just be here on earth, but that God's will might be done in heaven as well. The third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. God's good and gracious will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Underline those words. Those are the unholy trinity that's constantly working against us, and they, they come up again and again. The devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh that don't want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in the word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. You know, this is probably the hardest petition of all to pray. Remember, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed these very words. He knew what was coming. He could see the lynch mob and their torches coming after him. He prayed, Lord, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Not what I want, but Father, may your will be carried out for the sake of all people. It is so very, very hard for us to pray those words. We're asking God to hinder the devil, and that makes sense. We're asking God to hinder the world around us and all the goofy things we go, see going on that seem to be working against God and his kingdom. But then we're praying that God would break and hinder our own sinful nature. The prayer against ourselves, really. It's a prayer against our evil desires and schemes and actions. It's not what we want, God. It's what you want. And help us to see what your will is and help us to do that which is pleasing in your sight. Thy will be done, not mine. The fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers. He makes the rain fall on the, the Christians and the unchristians un in, in the uh, as rain falls throughout the land, everybody gets water. So God gives daily bread, even without our prayers, even to evil people. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What's included in daily bread? Everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food and drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, 
self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. Recognize that there is only one petition out of the seven in which we pray about material things. All of the other are spiritual things that we're praying about. And Jesus said, here's how we ought to pray. Six to one in favor of spiritual things over material things. Examine your prayers sometimes. See if that ratio holds true for you. Or do you spend so much of your time praying about material things? I need a house, a home, wife, children, cattle, goods, all of those things. And remember, those were the very same things that we talked about in the first article of the Creed. How God daily and richly supplies me with. It's almost exactly the same list. God promises as Father that he will provide us every day with all that we need to support our bodies and our lives. And so Jesus said, you just simply say, give us this day our daily bread. You take care of the material things. Why do you suppose he put in there this day our daily bread? Take this back to the Old Testament. You know, the people of Israel got very upset with Moses. We heard about it in, in the Old Testament reading the sermon today when there wasn't enough water and they went to war against Moses for leading them out into the desert and not supplying them with the water that they needed. Well, they did the same thing with food. They ran out of food and they said, what did you bring us out here for? To kill us in the desert? But what did God do? God provided manna and quail. Every night they went out and here was this stuff on, on the ground and all they needed to do was pick it up. Everything that they needed for that day, just pick it up, and they had bread in the morning, and the quail seemed to fly into the camp, and they had meat every night. If they decided they were going to hoard and try to grab more than they needed for that day in case there wasn't any more tomorrow, what happened to the leftovers? It all rotted on them. And so they had to learn. God will take care of us today, and God will take care of us tomorrow, and we're not going to worry about the time in between. We're not going to store up all this stuff for ourselves. God is going to provide. By teaching us to pray this day our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us the very same thing. Depend on God to provide you with what you need today. Don't worry. In Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus addressed the same issue. He said, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry. Don't worry in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic. Your Heavenly Father has this under control. He knows exactly what you need. Simply pray, give us this day our daily bread. Gracious God, supply us with all that we need. He hears, he answers, he provides. Simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread. The fifth petition. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does that mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We're neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that God would give them all to us by grace. For we sin daily and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. This is the only petition that has an added comment. Immediately after teaching us the prayer, Jesus added these words in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What if God held a grudge? What if, if we went to God with our prayers and he says, nope, I'm not going to listen to you because you messed up today. I'm not going to answer that prayer. So we deserve nothing, for we daily sin a great deal. So we, we can't go to God demanding. We can't go to God expecting. We throw ourselves simply on God's mercy in our prayers. And we pray, forgive us our trespasses. And don't hold them against us. But then we have the comment, as we forgive those who trespass against us. An added comment. Are you really saying God Forgive me the way that I forgive other people. You really want God to forgive you? The way you do? If you hold a grudge? If you're angry? If you spend your time stewing about something that somebody has done for you? You really want God to treat you the way that you treat other people? Thank God that's not what this means. What this means is God... I recognize that you have forgiven me. I now declare forgiveness 
to those who have sinned against you. You cannot be angry. You cannot hold a grudge. Because in these moments when you pray this prayer, you're saying, God, I declare forgiveness to everyone who's wronged me. Forgive me, and I declare forgiveness to others. And doesn't that cover everything in the second article of the creed? We talk about forgiveness. And the, the price that Jesus paid that we might be forgiven of our sins. And now we're claiming that forgiveness. And we're declaring that forgiveness Forgive us as we forgive others, as we now declare forgiveness. The sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, it's back. Remember we talked about the unholy three. They're back in, in this petition as well. That God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. And although we be attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. We live in, in a world that really is a battlefield. We like to talk about the seminary as well. You know, with the seminarians, there, there is always a temptation. The devil works on that campus like you would not believe to do everything in his power to get guys to quit, cause them to sin, to prevent them from be, becoming pastors and, and ladies from becoming deacons. Because he knows that if he can, can defeat them, he's defeated more and more. And so they, they come with their concerns. They, they have definite sins that they commit that they're guilty of, and it weighs heavy on them. They come sometimes thinking that they are too sinful to be pastors and thinking maybe they ought to quit. Or they come sometimes thinking they're too stupid, that they, they can't keep up with this work, that, that God is expecting too much of them. I had a student come to me, he's getting B-pluses in everything, and he thinks he's too stupid to be a pastor. Buddy, the devil is working in your mind and on your heart. Don't let him win this day. You know what it's like. It's, it's, the world around you is a battlefield, and you're constantly being tempted to deny Jesus, to live in a manner contrary to what you know is God's will, it's always, always there. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but we know that God doesn't tempt us. What tempts us? The devil. The world around us. And our own sinful desires tempt us. And so we're praying, Lord, don't let them have the day. Don't let us get ourselves into a position where we're going to yield to that temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer that, that God would prevent us, as I said, from falling um, to our own weaknesses, to the devil's temptation, to the lust of the world, to go after everyone and be just like them. So we pray that God would guard us and give us the power to overcome every temptation as he promised. A couple weeks ago, we had the, the temptation of, of Jesus um, right after his baptism. 
You remember how the devil worked? He just heard, Jesus had just heard the voice of his father say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he goes right out into the wilderness to be tempted. And the devil comes along and the first thing he does is, did God really say, are you really the son of God? If you are the son of God, then here are some things that you can do. He went down the three temptations of Jesus. His point was, let go of God's word. Question God's word. Did God really mean what he said about you being his son? Satan uses the same strategy on you. Did God really say? Then Satan comes along and he says, he contradicts God's word and he makes a new promise. Once you let go of God's word, you start listening to these these promises that the devil makes, and he just sucks you away from God with a new promise. Did God really say that he'll provide you each day your daily bread? God's lying to you. God knows you need a new car. God knows you need a bigger house. God knows you need success in your job. God knows he's lying to you. So go for it. Get what you need. Grab all the gusto. This is a prayer that God's Word might rule in our hearts. That we might not even question God's Word, but know it to be the truth. That we depend upon it with our lives each and every day. Lead us not into temptation. Keep us steadfast in your Word. The seventh petition then, but deliver us from evil. What does that mean? We pray in this petition in summary that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions, reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. We ask protection from every evil of body and soul. During a COVID-19 pandemic, God, deliver us from this evil. God, keep us safe. And if our time would come, when our time comes, grant us a blessed death. Take us to yourself in heaven. It's a summary of everything else that we pray for. God, we put it all into your hands and you provide us with what we need. In the Bible, that's the end of the prayer. That's all that Jesus taught. If you've ever been to a Roman Catholic church, you know that that's where they end the Lord's Prayer. You can always spot the Lutherans at a Catholic funeral. Because we keep right on going, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And all the Roman Catholics are looking at us going, what? It's likely that this wasn't originally part of the prayer, but, but a liturgical response. And we used to use it this way as well. During, during the page 15 days, uh, those of you who remember the Lutheran hymnal, the pastor would always pray the Lord's Prayer. And he would get done with it, and then the congregation would sing, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I believe that's the way it all came about.
the way it was added. Um, the church added it as a response to what Jesus has taught us about prayer. But it's very similar to the words of 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Those of you who have been members of the church for, for some time may remember that one of the main Bible studies that we had during our capital campaign for the new school building was, was based on this passage from 1 Chronicles, where David had gathered together this tremendous offering for the building of, of the temple, and he leads his people in prayer. And part of that prayer is, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. What a response we make at the very end, recognizing one more time he has the kingdom. He has the power. He's the one who gets all glory. It's all his now and forevermore. And then the congregation responds with this great word of faith. Amen. Amen means it shall be so, truly. It's a word of faith. What we're really saying is, Lord, I have, I've laid my concerns before you, and I believe you've heard and you'll answer. In your own way, in your own time, you may say yes, you may say no. You may say, wait a little while, but Lord, I put it in your hand. Amen. It shall be so. We rushed through the Lord's Prayer. There's tons of stuff that we could talk about, but we, we wanted to get in all the petitions. Are there any questions, any comments that any of you would like to make about prayer? That fifth petition is a scary one. When we're praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others, we know up here that somebody's going to pick us off today, and will we be so eager to forgive them? It's a scary thing. Other questions or comments that some of you might want to make regarding prayer? Yes. How efficacious is a national day of prayer? Um, actually, President Trump has announced that today is to be a national day of prayer, that all churches everywhere are supposed to be offering petitions on behalf of, of those suffering with this pandemic. Um, how efficacious? Well, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. If one man is in the room offering up prayers to God, if two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. Sometimes I have some, some concerns about those national days of prayer and the prayers that are offered during that time because they don't always, they don't always pass theological muster. I think 
sometimes we just need to recognize that these are the sincere prayers of, of God's people. And yes, we get ourselves into trouble when we start praying with Muslims. We're praying with others who don't believe in the triune God as we do. And can we join them in prayers like that? How, how do we as Christians um, engage or not engage in those national days of prayer? It's a, a topic that our church body has dealt with many, many times over. The question that keeps coming up in my mind, when, when do we belong there for the sake of the gospel? When do we separate ourselves from those situations for the sake of the gospel? We need to be very careful in our decisions as to whether we participate or not participate in large, non-denominational, non-multi-religious uh, groups. But it is a great concern. Did I answer your question? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Yep. Do we add the amen at the prayer that we don't agree with? Yeah, right. Other concerns? Over here, we're in the back. Yes, sir. I, I believe it's acceptable. When those chaplains are on the, in the midst of the battlefields and they lead the troops in prayer, absolutely, we, we pray. I saw another hand over here. Yes. Absolutely, God knows our hearts. And so, you know, as we offer our petitions, you know, can we, can we offer a generic prayer to a supreme God? whoever that might be. Well, in our minds, we think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where somebody else might be thinking Allah. Can we, can we pray that way? We know what we're thinking. God knows what's in our hearts and in our minds as we, we open up the prayer. But again, we need to be careful uh, about how we join in a, a, a service like that. Other questions? Yes, Lynn. Yeah. When, when we're praying against the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, we're praying against ourselves. God knows. And sometimes we, we get ourselves in a position where we are involved in prayers that are against things that we know are God's will. But as Christians, we're always praying, Thy will, not my will, but Thy will be done. Paul? Yep. As we said, there's a correlation between Scripture and our prayer life. And if we don't know what to pray for, using Scripture, speaking God's words after Him are always appropriate. Now, sometimes, sometimes we, we make too much out of prayer. I don't know how many times during my ministry I simply had to say, God, help me. I don't know. 
I don't know how to minister to these people. I don't know how to help them. I don't even understand the situation I'm getting myself into. God help me. And I think that's the most, the most sincere prayer of all. I don't get it. God help me. And He does hear. He does answer. Other questions or concerns? Yes, ma'am, back. I am familiar. There's a custom that the church has used throughout history where the, the, the bell is tolled at points throughout the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely. Seeing no other, we've been taught about prayer. Why don't we pray together? The Lord's Prayer is our closing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in the grace of the Lord.